Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hey, this is Jamie Birch. Welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Today we have an awesome guest. Terry Edelman is the managing partner of Menfluential. Uh, before I introduce this episode, though, we are right in Q4. So one of the things you are probably figuring out is what to do next year. And on your mind should be the incrementality and profitability of your affiliate channel. Now, in our client success map, our five-step way uh, to scale your affiliate program profitably, we have a step where we create a profitability roadmap for you. So that is a strategy for profit and incrementality uh, where we look at all aspects of your program. Uh, we work with your business intelligence team to identify how are we going to measure what's incremental and what's profitable in your affiliate program. If you would like access to that, you want to talk about how we can do that for you. No link today. Just email us at gethelp at jvcommerce.com and we will set up some time to go over our profitability roadmap with you and help you make sure that 2021 is not only a high revenue producing year, but also an incremental one and a profitable one. So Terry is a good friend uh, of JEB Commerce, and we've done many, many projects together. He is an influencer or manages influencers. So Menfluential uh, is an agency that works with uh, men influencer, male influencers that you can work with uh, in multiple ways. We've worked with their brands, their influencers in there on several different programs. Terry and I talk about those in this episode uh, with great success. So if you are an affiliate manager, you're a CMO, uh, you are in charge of e-commerce and digital marketing. This is a podcast you definitely want to listen to. Uh, it is about an hour and 10 minutes long, but we really dive into the questions that you have had, our clients, uh, advertisers, and prospects have had about working with influencers, how to work with them, what they look uh, for, how success is measured, and things like that. So uh, without further ado, my interview with Terry Edelman. All right. Welcome, Terry, to our Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on, at least where I am at, a very wintry, snow-falling-everywhere kind of day. <laughs> it happens to be a little bit warm here the last few days. We've been pretty fortunate over the last weekend. Uh, I think today it's in the low 70s, uh, and I think you know about this. You're from Pennsylvania, right? I am, yeah, just outside of Philly. I'm outside of Philadelphia. I'm in Bucks County. And uh, yesterday, I think it was about 73 or 74. It was almost 78 degrees on Sunday here. <laughs> so I'm so jealous right now. <laughs> I have to, at some point today, put uh, implements on my tractor and go plow. Uh, we have, 
I think we have four inches on the ground. It's 26 oh, wow. degrees and it is still snowing. I'm watching it out the window and, and watching my workload increase with every flake. <laughs> <laughs> we did have, we did have 70 degrees last week and it was beautiful and I could totally handle, you know, a long uh, fall at about between 50 and 70, but that took a turn for uh, something else uh, late last night. Wow. Well, you know what? I like the snow. What I don't like is cold for no reason, meaning 20 degree weather with ice or just cold and windy. You know, if it's going to be cold, let it snow. Yeah. Are you a skier? I snowboard. I haven't actually been out on the slopes for, um, I want to say three years. It's maybe, maybe longer. Um, my daughter now is three years old and I'm, uh, it's going to motivate me to take her out. I think we're going to hit the slopes. Um, she just turned three. So I think, you know, give it a few more months, maybe, um, maybe January. Um, you know, the snow, the ski conditions typically take a little while uh, until the base is where it needs to be, especially in Pennsylvania. PA, you know, skiing and the, the, um, uh, the conditions, even over the last years, even though I haven't been fortunate enough to get out on the slopes, they've been pretty crappy. <laughs> so, well, it's, and it's different skiing. We're we're in uh, Idaho, so we're right at the top of the Rocky Mountains, and uh, and I I've skied uh, in Pennsylvania. It's so different, uh, different there. But yeah, I did the same thing when I had kids. I spent many years not hitting the slope. There were many other things to take care of. Uh, but they pick it up so fast and was so much faster than we do as adults. So, you know, three, four years old is perfect time. They'll be, she'll be skiing with you and pushing dad, uh, to hit stuff that maybe you haven't done yet. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I'm looking forward to it. I started young. My dad started me pretty young. Um, you know, I've been fortunate over the years to, uh, to, you know, go out West. I typically would go to Colorado um, oh yeah, you know skiing at first, and then snow. I I, I skied since I, I think I was about five or six years old, and then right on. Um, and then I took up snowboarding when I was about seventeen or eighteen. You know, so that's that's a couple of years back yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, right? Uh, oh, my yeah. daughter wants to snowboard this year. She's fourteen. Oh no, nice. I did it. I did it for uh, half a day. Uh, and it was painful. And so I just said, screw this, walked back to my truck, got my skis, uh, and enjoyed it. I wasn't able to get past that first day, which I'm told if you get past the first day, it, you pick it up much quicker than skiing. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing about it is, I mean, I, you know, personally, I guess I look at it and I think snowboarding would have been easier to take up as a, as a kid because, you know, you're on one board, right. Versus, having to control simultaneously in sync two skis on each leg, right? You know, and people are typically, you know, favor one over the other. You know, I'm right-handed. I use my right foot to kick or what have you. Um, So I think snowboarding may have been easier as a kid, but you're right. I mean, if you're not prepared to have sore wrists and a sore butt, at the end yeah. of the day of snowboarding, you, you shouldn't go out. <laughs> yeah, you're be I sore. always, I said, if I could get some football pants with a tailbone pad, <laughs> then I'll try it again. But if, if oh, I'm yeah. not going to do that now, I think they even put that pad in snowboard pants, but I, 
I hit one so hard. I thought I broke my tailbone. I was in the middle of the slope and I literally picked up the board, walked, uh, walked to my truck and said, I'm just getting too old. And I wasn't even that old. So I don't know what it'd be like to do it now. But yeah, that's great. Congratulations. Three years old. I can't believe that much time has passed. I have an 11 month old though, too. <laughs> oh, congratulations so, on that too. Thanks, oh man. man. Yeah. I remember having so, two little ones. It got uh-huh. crazy. It, it's crazy. I've got two girls. So, um, you know, it's interesting. And, and the one that's three, um, you know, obviously she's, you know, obviously walking, uh, Ella yeah. is her name and Olivia is my 11 month old and Olivia is just starting to stand up on things. I think she'll probably start walking soon, but Ella is pretty active. She loves to climb and jump and she's a little bit of a daredevil. Um, I bought her a skateboard because I, I'm not a great skateboarder, but, uh, you know, I, I, I dabble. And, uh, so when she's on her scooter, I'll skate alongside of her. And then I ended up buying her a little skateboard and it's, it's tough skate, skate that that's tough. I think that's even going to be tougher than snowboarding. So, um, so we'll see, you know, I'm excited about it though. Uh, I'm definitely excited about it. And, uh, uh, when I need some free time to go hit the slopes myself, I'll put her in a, you know, a ski school, let them handle it for a little while. You know, that's how I first got my kids skiing. We went away for three weeks or three days and um, in uh, in Montana, Whitefish, Montana, they had a program where you put the kids in for full days and they you get them in there at nine o'clock. You don't pick them up until three. They do two lessons and group skiing. And uh, my wife and I and my older uh, uh, kids uh, we skied and snowboarded uh, all day. They learned how, and then when we got home, everyone knew how to do it. And I, I didn't have to teach anyone anything, which was great because I'm not that good anyway. But yeah, that'll be great. It's so much fun getting out there and the kids being able to do what you have to. This year, uh, my 12 year old son is way better than I am, so I'm gonna have to level up uh, to keep up with him. He's been my ski buddy for the last, uh, six years or so. So I'm going to have to level up and do some stuff I haven't done since I was 20. Yeah, no, that's great though. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I'm an older father in terms of where my parents were when they had kids. Um, I'm 44 now going to be 45 in in February. So I'm 44 with a three-year-old and 11 month old. So, you know, um, I'm pretty active, but I'm not as active as I was, you know, in my twenties or thirties. Um, so I think it's going to motivate me, you know, to get out there, push me a little bit, like you're saying to, uh, you know, to keep in shape and to be active oh, yeah. and, and do the things maybe that I wouldn't do if I didn't have young kids. So it's, it's great. And I, I love it. Yep. That's awesome. Well, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Like, where did you start? How did you, uh, you know, where you're at now? Um, and then, you know, what, uh, what's going on with, uh, Menfluential? Sure. I'll, I'll kind of, um, I'll try to keep it a little brief. You can dig in where you, uh, think your audience mm-hmm. might be interested. Um, so basically, uh, you, you already know my age, so I've been, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, I've been dabbling in a few different careers over the last, uh, you know, 20, probably 24 years or so, uh, 23 years or so. Um, I started out um, in the automotive industry uh, in sales. I was 21 years old. Um, I had uh, been through some college. 
Uh, and um, I never really, you know, college was never my thing. I was always a hands-on kind of guy. I like to be active. I like to be involved. Um, you know, if college was, you know, a, an internship or a job, I probably would have really succeeded more so than I did. And, uh, but, you know, at the end of it all, um, I decided, you know, sales was what I uh, thrived at. I had some kind of, you know, little sales jobs along the way in high school, uh, working at some stores in the mall and things like that. I, you know, I knew that I liked helping people out and answering questions. And, um, you know, my father uh, and my, 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 both of my grandfathers were in sales in one way or another. So, um, you know, I always kind of knew that I had that in me. I like talking to people. I like learning about people um, on various levels. And so fast forwarding to 21, I um, took a sales position at a Toyota dealership. And, um, you know, in the first year, I was really successful. Um, I started to, you know, win the salesman of the month uh, in my first year in, you know, and, and being young now, looking back on it, 21, um, you know, what did I know, really? Yeah. Uh, and um, at 23 years old, I decided I wanted something that was a little bit more professional, a little bit more upscale. So I went to a BMW dealership for a very small stint uh, in sales when I then had an opportunity to go back to the BMW dealership where I came from as a sales manager at the age of 23. So, um, you know, it was a great accomplishment at the time. And I got to tell you, after a year, I hated it. I hated sales management oh, wow. because... You know, what I realized, and I'm sure you can relate to this, and I'm sure some of your listeners can too, if they have a business or they're in management or they have people under them that they're responsible for or accountable for, um, that, you know, you get to a management position typically because you've succeeded at the lower levels and you've worked your way up. And what was difficult for me was that sales, I guess, kind of came a little easy to me, but I always tried hard. I always tried to perfect it and learn and you know, what can I do to better myself and sell more cars and, you know, do, you know, what processes or what have you uh, do I need to learn? And so I was always interested in that. And so anyway, um, but what I realized was um, it's very difficult to, you know, hold everybody to the level that you think, you know, you would want to be at or you were at. Um, mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think what you need to realize is, um, there are going to be people that are more motivated and inspired and more go-getters in life than others. And, uh, you know, you get to see that when you're managing, you know, 20 or so uh, salesmen. Um, typically, you've got your, you know, two or three that are pretty good. You don't have to really worry about. Um, a couple of them are normally top salesmen month in and month out. And then you've got, you know, you're, you call them your A players and then you've got your B players. And uh, But a lot of them, you know, you've got your C and D players and you have to decide, you know, who's worth, who really wants to be there? Who really wants to get from that D or C level to the B level or even A level? What are they doing to get there? Um, and, you know, how much of your time is it taking away from your A and B players or the C player that wants to be a B player? So the reality is, is management is very difficult. It's very frustrating. I didn't really have a whole lot of guidance on what to expect or how to maneuver, you know, myself around these feelings that I had about people that were, you know, kind of taking the path of least resistance. They weren't really that motivated. They just were there because they needed a paycheck. Um, and that's not who I was. I was never that guy.
Um, I was never anywhere for a paycheck. Um, as a matter of fact, I went on then to have other management positions. And, um, you know, when I felt like I couldn't move the needle or I wasn't able to do something, I would typically leave and look for another job. And sometimes before I had another job lined up and people thought I was crazy, my friends thought I was nuts. Um, how can you leave yeah. a job making good money before you land another job and, and just leave? And it was more ethics and morals for me. I didn't want to stay somewhere. I didn't feel like, you know, it was right for me to stay somewhere where I didn't really believe in it that much. And I wasn't going to give it my all. I always really feel like I need to want to give it my all. And, um, and I, I'll get to where I'm at now. I feel like that every day. Um, and then I, you know, I, along the way, I managed other sales dealers. I managed other dealerships, automotive dealerships, where I then started to really take an interest in marketing. And so um, I would ask the owner of the dealership, you know, or if there was someone, you know, above me, I would ask, you know, let me handle this. I have a real interest. I know, you know, kind of the messaging that needs to be out there. Um, you know, the way I ran dealerships was um, customer service was, you know, was a top priority to me. I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure no matter how good a salesman was at selling cars, that they were always going to take care of the, uh, of the customers the best that they could. Because at the end of the day, whether somebody buys from you or not, whether you do business or you don't, um, you know, word travels very quickly. And just because they didn't purchase something from you doesn't mean the experience was bad. Uh, maybe they purchased a different mm -hmm. product that they liked better. And so um, customer service has always been very, very important to me. It's always been a top priority. It still is to this day. Um, and, uh, you know, along the way, I learned a lot about myself managing people, um, you know, that there are different levels of uh, ability out there and desire to learn and to better yourself. And, uh, you know, I, I would do the best I could to build the, you know, the, the, the most solid, uh, you know, um, motivated team that I could. And I had a lot of success in the automotive industry. Um, I worked for a dealership that um, was um, an Acura dealership. We were the number one new car dealership in the state at the time. We were the number one certified dealer in the country. Um, and it was a huge combined effort. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here patting myself on the back. It was the team that I'm talking about. We had a great team. Yeah. Um, we had a great team of salespeople, a great team of managers. Uh, the marketing was solid. And, um, you know, you, you try different things and you live and you and you learn and, you know, you ride the wave with marketing where you can. Uh, and one thing led to another. And as the years went on, um, I started to kind of connect with the right people in marketing, dove into the digital side of marketing with the automotive dealerships even quicker than some of the other big dealer groups around. And we started to see that we were really able to break in to areas where they hadn't. And, you know, when you're doing that, you're able to get in front of customers that may never have, you know, heard about you or known about you, or they don't know your current message. And now you've got these customers coming into your store. And so, you know, marketing has always been a huge, big part of what I've loved about the automotive industry. I love the sales aspect of it. I like the management side of it at the end of the day, after I learned uh, through the years. And um, so, you know, fast forwarding all of those years, I spent probably about 16 years in sales and sales management. Um, 
And uh, from that, I spent about two years on the road um, with a a guy that I had known from a previous dealership. Um, I liked a lot of his methods and his philosophy and kind of the process that he was implementing in a dealership that I had worked at as a sales manager. And I teamed up with him and we did some sales training and we did. um, And so I would travel to Arizona and California for that on a monthly basis. So I would go there, I would work with the sales team, the sales managers, the owners, and we would train their, their sales team and managers. And, you know, it was great because you got to see the, the needle move. You got to see people that you really liked working with one-on-one start to sell more cars, make more money. And, you know, it's good for everybody. It's exciting. I just got tired of travel after a couple of years. And so, you know, I had a couple other little things going on um, at the time. I tried a couple different businesses and didn't really pan out. And I was looking to really take a break from the automotive industry. And that's kind of where this will now come in a little bit. Um, One of my business partners who also is a top YouTube uh, star on um, uh, basically in the men's lifestyle world is Aaron Marino, who Mm -hmm. has a channel Alpha M currently with over 6 million subscribers. And uh, if you know anything about the men's space, um, it's different than the female space where, um, you know, there are, it seems as though there are a lot of different, um, you know, there, there's a ton, and not a, I mean, there's a ton of female talent, um, whether it's in the beauty space or the fashion space, and they're divided up a little bit more so than the guys are because there aren't that many talented men that kind of can talk about, you know, or, or that can talk to men on a general lifestyle level where they're talking about fashion, style, fitness, health, grooming, kind of mm-hmm. all things men that relate to men that are all about improving a man's, um, you know, confidence, improving their lifestyle uh, on a personal level and on a professional level. And so, you know, Aaron, I, you know, have been best friends with since I was about 13 years old. So now oh, wow. do the math. Uh, we've been best friends for almost 32 years, roughly. And wow. um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, and so, you know, he knew everything about me and what, you know, what, where my strengths were and about my, you know, my jobs and my career and everything else. And we would talk on a monthly basis. We saw each other a couple times a year he has family up north here. He's, you know, he's from around here. He lives down um, in Georgia, outside of Atlanta now. And basically, uh, he was up here uh, in the beginning of the summer of 2015, and that's about the time when I was looking to take a break. And he said to me, "You know, what are you doing this summer? I hear, you know, you you're done with, you know, training and consulting." And I said, "Yeah, you know, I." I'm not sure what I want to do. You know, the car business is what I know, sales, marketing, uh, that sort of thing. And he said, and he said, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, you know, I haven't really taken that much time off over the years. And at the time, I think it was 18 or so years, you know, I would take a week off in the winter, take a week off in the summer, never really took that much vacation time. And I thought, you know, let me take the summer off. And he says to me, dude, you can't sit still for five minutes. How are you going to take, you know, how are you taking a summer off? And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, you know me well. And I'm like, and I, you know, I laughed. We're sitting at breakfast actually in, um, I, I think we were either in Atlantic City or Ventnor. Uh, we were 
in that in that general area there in New Jersey. And um, and I said, you know, you're right, you know, and all the while um, kind of my brother kind of comes into the picture here a little bit. Brian lives in California in, in Santa Monica and Aaron had just been out there filming uh, what was going to be the, his second Shark Tank appearance, and which oh, didn't wow. air until the end of May in 2016. It took a while because they ended up saving that episode for the season finale. But uh, instead of jumping too far ahead there, Brian would always be in Aaron's ear and you know about my abilities in sales and relationships mm-hmm. and management and marketing. And you know he knew that Aaron was being approached by different brands looking to, you know, sponsor, pay him to integrate their brand into some of his content. And, you know, Aaron, you know, is, he's, he is actually, I mean, he's, he's a, you can have a great conversation with him. He's, uh, you know, great communicator. He's great salesman. He's got a lot of passion, but, you know, you have to like or love the aspect of sales to communicate via email, phone calls, and things like that, and the the you know the 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 length of time in the course that it takes for you to then put a sponsorship together, he never really yeah. liked that, and um and so that was great, you know that he didn't like that, but those are the things that I love, and so um what what ended up happening was he said you know why you know what do you need to pay the bills, and at the time you know. Um, I had made pretty good money all along the years. And uh, he said, look, you know, give me the amount, you know, I'll, I'll give you whatever it is to pay the bills for the next three months, you know, come and help me out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but we have to agree. It's not going to affect our friendship. And I'm like, yeah, of course not. You know, it would never yeah, affect yeah. our friendship. Um, Cause that was always a chance we were taking. And, yeah. um, you know, Aaron was never really one to delegate a lot of work because he never really found somebody he trusted. He and I, again, have been best friends for a long time. He trusted me to kind of dive into his business a little bit. And Jamie, it took like two weeks for us to figure out that he was listening in on a call when I was down in Atlanta. He's like, oh my God, you're so good at this. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and I said, I just like talking to people. I like finding out about their yeah. businesses and really digging in. And I am truly interested. And I'm not faking it. Uh, I'm not just trying to make a buck. Um, at the end of the day, that's the goal down the road is if they have a brand and a product that, you know, where there's synergy between that and, you know, Aaron, his channel and his demographics, then great. And so anyway, so one thing led to another. I started to see more sponsorships in the first month than he'd ever put together and um, wow. at a higher dollar value. And then one of his friends that he was connected with, because he had this little network going of all of these male influencers, uh, Antonio Centeno, who has a channel, Real Men, Real Style, uh, reached out to Aaron about me, knew what was going on, then reached out to me. And I started to then handle a lot of the incoming inquiries and leads for him. To be, you know, Brands and agencies were reaching out wanting to sponsor him, as well as Aaron. So now I'm handling both sides of that. Um, things were going really well. And I thought all of the while, even before Antonio, here I am talking to an agency or a brand for an hour or two at a time. You know, there's a hundred emails back and forth before a deal, you know, uh, comes to fruition. Right. And I'm thinking, why am I just talking about Aaron? Yeah, he's awesome. But you know, what, who else is there? And uh, then there, then there was Antonio. And so we were talking about, well, let's start a company where we'll represent 
you know, male talent. And that's what my thoughts were. We are going to represent influencers in the men's space. And then uh, what happened was Aaron and I were on the phone and he said, well, what do you want? What do you want to call the company? And I said, well, you know, you guys are influencing men, you know, you're in the men's space. Um, you know, you're influential to men. Um, and Aaron said, you know, men fluential. And I said, that's it, you know, and it was pretty yeah. easy because at the end of the day, I mean, the name is important, but it doesn't matter that much. I mean, you know, you, you, you've got big companies out there where the names don't really make a whole lot of sense, right? Like Apple, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they don't sell apps. This one's easy to understand. <laughs> it's easy to understand. It was kind of a combination of two names, men and influential yeah. and menfluential. And uh, so that started officially the middle of September 2015, although I had started with Aaron back in June or July. Um, real quickly, I started to realize, you know, people, the brands were coming back and saying, you know, I'd reach out to them. How did everything go with Aaron's video, this and that? Or they would reach out if I was too busy. And say, look, you know, we want to, we want to book some more sponsorships with Aaron, with with Antonio, and at the time now, I took on another eight eight influencers, kind of in this space, some blogs, but mostly YouTube video, um, YouTube uh, channels, and so anyway, um, we, I noticed, you know, look, and I'm optimistic. I was thinking, you know, if we're doing well. Um, you know, I was looking at it like a batting average, you know, three out of mm-hmm. 10, you know, you know, if we can, yeah, we yeah. can bat at 300, we're, we're okay. It was, it was actually better than the complete opposite. I mean, eight, sometimes nine, depending on, you know, how many we were working with at a time, eight or nine out of 10 were coming back to us at some capacity. And a lot of the time it was at a larger capacity with bigger budgets. Uh, they saw the needle was being moved. They started working with other guys, and and granted, we were we started it at the right time, at the end of the third quarter, coming into the fourth quarter when things were ramping yeah. up. Right, um, the economy was doing well. It was you know the end of 2015, and so I realized here I am managing. I'm the only one now managing ten influencers, but also wow. starting to realize and shift that I'm not just a company representing influencers. I'm representing these brands. I mean, these brands are putting their money and their faith mm. and their, you know, their trust in me and in Menfluential. And I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe we're not who I thought we were set out to be. And so realistically, just kind of like a typical, I guess, more along the lines of being an agent or an agency where, you know, you are in the middle and, and you got to be able to do it, you know, unbiased, where you're representing the talent, you're looking out for them when you have to. You're looking out for the brands when you have to also. And I realized that we were getting so busy. I was working seven days a week, sometimes, you know, past midnight, talking to companies around the world. Um, I had a, you know, when you're talking to Australia or Hong Kong and you're 12 to 16 hours difference in time zones, you yeah. have to, you have to adjust your schedule. And, and it was crazy. So I reached out to my brother in California. He was selling cars. He, had, he was actually working at um, an Audi dealership in Santa Monica handling VIP accounts, you know, celebrity and high profile people. Um, and, you know, Brian was always great with sales and relationships. He really maybe didn't have that much knowledge about the marketing side of things. And um, I needed someone uh, to grow it. Otherwise, I'd be spinning my wheels working with the same brand. So Brian came aboard in January of 2016, fast forwarding. He really got a grip on things. Um, we took on more influencers along the way, 
and um, and he really landed some really great accounts uh, with agencies and some brands. Uh, while at the same time I was too, and things were really, really moving quickly, rapidly in the right direction. I've had a couple people work with me along the way, uh, helping out. Um, but to this day, I mean, we work with, um, we, we just jumped into the female space a little bit, um, with back in January with a, a girl that I worked with at a, another company for over four and a half years, she was leaving and I recruited her to help me. Uh, grow the kind of the female side because I'd always have brands ask me about, you know, when are you going to start working with women and, you know, yeah, we yeah. want to work with you. Um, so right now, um, you know, we work with, you know, a, a lot of different talent. Of course, there's the core kind of go-to guys where, you know, brands are working with these particular influencers on a weekly, monthly, bi-monthly basis. Um, because things are really working for them. They're seeing the results. And so we've got our core group of guys and some, some females that we kind of go to for everything. And then when the brand's looking to expand beyond that, we do have um, other talent that we work with. Some are direct, some are through agencies, um, but we also know what to look for. And we are working for the brand just as much as for the influencer. And I think that's the key is that these brands and agencies on the brand side of things, the ones that are the ones with the budgets that are spending the money, taking the risk, you know, they understand that when we're working for them, you know, we're doing the best we can to get them the best possible rates, to get them the best possible talent, where the integrations are going to be, you know, top notch and really speak, you know, in, in such a great, uh, passionate, enthusiastic, positive way about their brand and their product and their service. Um, that at the end of the day, even if it doesn't move the needle, like maybe they were hoping you've got great content online about that company searchable, um, you know, and there's just, there's a lot of great assets that come with, uh, YouTube video, uh, integrations and videos, uh, by the talent that we work with. And so we've made a lot of great, um, you know, relationships along the way. We've had a lot of great success for brands. Um, the majority, I, I'll just give you a couple numbers. I don't like to dive into too many numbers, but regarding brands, um, we worked with 90 brands last year. We'll work with roughly 90, maybe a little more this year at the end of the day. Um, out of those 90 different brands, and we've worked with probably about 160 brands, 170 brands over the years, but those 90 brands, I would bet you if I look back and I, I, I do all of the, the, the math, I look at it, uh, you're going to find that probably a quarter of those brands have worked with us for four to five years plus, uh, another wow. quarter of them three to four years, another quarter, two to three years. And then the other is going to be a mix of brands that have just come and started to work with us in the last six months or this year uh, or over the last year or two. So we've that's, got a that's great. And, you know, we, we've seen the success. I, I can talk numbers cause we have them on our site, uh, both bodybuilding.com and Indochino, uh, uh, just working with Aaron, you know, in one day, uh, his video produced 50% of their daily affiliate traffic, uh, 72% were new customers and Indochino, every single customer through our campaign with Aaron and you, uh, was brand new. Uh, new to the brand completely. So huge, huge successes you guys are delivering. Tell me, what is it like to start a campaign? Uh, you know, how do you measure success? How do you walk the brand? And 
and your influencers through how it's going to happen. Uh, talk to me about that. Sure. No, no problem at all. Well, thank you for the complimentary numbers. Um, we actually went on to work with bodybuilding for quite some years. Um, we mm -hmm. haven't worked with them this year, um, but we worked with them for, uh, man, three years or more. Uh, Indochino, yeah. um, I, I still have a relationship with them. Things slowed down for them as far as their marketing spend because of production, uh, the virus, um, yeah. I get, maybe even the desire to wear suits right now. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of that. Um, and that's anyway, an interesting question yeah. I, I would mm -hmm. love to dive into later of like, okay. how has COVID influenced the, the, this space, especially fashion, but go back to, yeah, sure. you know, getting started and working. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I think the answer you're going to hear from me, uh, and I, and I want to kind of preface this by saying, I'm not trying to be ignorant and dodge a question or be, you know, ultra diplomatic or anything like that here. Uh, but, um, you know, you, I, and I know this about JEB, I've, I've, I, I was actually at your company or at your yeah. office four years ago, right around this time. It was after the election. Yeah, we have a YouTube video when you were there. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was great. It was, it was, it was fantastic. You had a great, great team and, and, uh, very knowledgeable. But what I realized is also you guys dive into the data so much more than I do, uh, so much more than I will with any client. Um, there, there's a couple of trains of thought there. So, you know, it is one of the things that potentially might keep us from earning a brand's business working with them is that I can't, you know, when a brand say, if, if it is just cut and dry where they say to me, you know, look, you know, we need to see some analytics and stats and some numbers and some data from previous similar company campaigns or what have you. Um, it's just not information that even if I have it, I'm willing to share because I feel that it's private. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's private to that particular brand. And most of them I still have relationships with. Um, and I can't really be vague about it and talk about a brand without talking about what they sell and what they do and maybe even who they are. Um, mm -hmm. To that point, one of the things that's really worked well for us, and, and, and you know, I can just talk about Aaron, for example, um, because he really is, um, you know, he's, he's special in this space for sure. There's no doubt about it. Um, and it's the way that he's so able to uh, seamlessly integrate a brand into his content and really just make it flow really nicely while pitching it harder than probably anybody I've seen pitch a brand or a product. Yeah. Um, but, but so getting back to this without trying to get off target and you can always uh, keep me back in on, on, on track <laughs> here is that um, what I'll say to a brand a lot of the time is that, you know, here are brands that we've worked with. Um, you know, Aaron, you know, Aaron and a lot of the other guys have the same, we've been working with a lot of the same brands now, you know, probably 75% of the brands we work with, we've been working with for two years plus or so. And wow. so there's a reason that they're coming back. Not only are they coming back, they're sponsoring more frequency, more times than they previously used to. Um, different categories. We're also very loyal uh, to the brands that work with us. That's another thing. Um, you're not going to see uh, Aaron pitch uh, ABC boots in January, then um, you know DEF boots 
and then XYZ boots, you know, two weeks later. Um, It's just not going to happen. One of the things that we try to, you know, the messages that we try to get across to the brand is, look, if it's working for you, let's keep going. You know, we'll work with you. We need it to be organic and authentic. But look, you want to change up some bullet points, some talking points, uh, some, you know, key message points, uh, change up the call to action, you know, create custom landing pages and things like that. You want to continue to, you know, make the message and the content, the integration stronger. That's fine by us. And we'll work with the influencers to do that. But look, what we've seen is the more content that a brand puts out through these influencers, they, you know, look like any marketing, they have ups and downs, right? One video could be good. The next video could be amazing. The third video Mm -hmm. could be okay. And the fourth video could be good. And the fifth video could be crap. You know, it could have just bottomed out. And that's a tough thing to get over. But after so much ups and downs, you know, you got to look at it as a whole. I mean, the, the overall spend, the time that they've worked with us, you know, are they up? You know, are they, are they increasing, you know, new to file customers, uh, traffic to their site, views? How, you know, what's the value in when you go to, um, you know, YouTube, right, or Google even, and you're searching for specific topics having to do with men's lifestyle in one way or another, and you're seeing video content, and, and, and a lot of people are searching YouTube more than ever um, for yeah. rather than reading articles or seeing little snippets, they're looking and they're seeing YouTube. It's a, what second biggest search engine. And so the reality of it is, is that you're, you know, the SEO value of this content is amazing. And when you have a brand that's continuously working with an influencer and multiple influencers building up libraries of content, it's hard for somebody looking for a suit not to see Aaron or Jose or Antonio or somebody else talking about Indochino or at the time when he was, you know, all over bodybuilding, even though Aaron is not a specific fitness channel, um, what his appeal was is that he isn't a typical fitness channel, although he's got a lot of credentials in that particular space. But here's a guy who you watch about, you know, maybe working out or six minute ads or whatever. I'm just making things up. But um, and then the next video is, you know, you know, 10 top accessories every guy must own. And you're like, oh, shit, I'll watch that too. You know, and next thing you know, you subscribe. And now, not only did you see that, you were introduced to some brands that you'd never been introduced to before. Maybe you, maybe you buy immediately. Sometimes that's happening. Um, or that same person that watched him originally for the fitness video saw bodybuilding. Then two weeks later, Aaron does something about um, you know, protein or a diet or you know, working your legs or something like that. They watch that. Guess who's sponsoring that? Same brand. You know? And so the idea that we're able to stay loyal in categories, um, I think the brands have looked at as a real asset with dealing with us, where they know with some other influencers, if that brand is not, either there's the communications off or maybe it didn't perform well enough to consider another video. But you know, imagine how watered down, you know, like that example I was giving you about the boots, you know, you talk about one boot yeah, yeah. in this video and the next video, it's another boot company and the next video, it's another boot company. Why not? Why not? If there's enough product coming out and you can keep your content fresh, why not integrate it? You don't have to say, 
you know, five boots for this or that doesn't have to be the title for every video. It could be, you know, fall fashion style, uh, you know, ideas. And, it, you know, the, the integration could be about boots. Uh, you know, um, you know, it, one could be about just, you know, uh, five boot styles for the wintertime. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways that, you know, um, you know, we've been able to, the influencers have been able to get creative to keep these brands interested in coming back. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, the one thing I really love is that, I mean, I'm friends with most of these brands. My brother's friends with most of the brands he works with. Tom, who also works with us, who handles a lot of brand partners, is friendly with um, the brands you know that he works with. Now we're not seeing these people in person as much as you know we used to, and we never really saw everyone yeah. anyway. But um, I think the the goal for a brand should be to find the influencers that um, not only the influencer can be loyal to, but that the brand can also be loyal to and continue to you know, sponsor and see a real true partnership. Um, and, and, and obviously one of the things that I was going to tell you about, which is, you know, a key element, um, is that the influencers truly like, uh, the brand, the product, they think that it will resonate well with their audience. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a brand that they are specifically wearing or using every single day, but, you know, they have to consider the audience that they're, they're speaking to. I mean, speak about watches, for example, and I don't need to mention names necessarily, but, you know, for example, Aaron wears Rolexes. Anybody who watches him sees that he's had multiple Rolexes. Not everybody that's watching him can afford a Rolex, and that's okay. That's perfectly okay. I mean, he wasn't always able to, too. I mean, he's had, I mean, he's had more of the years he hasn't been able to than the years yeah. he's been able to afford them. And, you know, but at the same time, we also work with a, uh, we've worked with multiple watch companies. Uh, this particular past year alone, we've worked with one specific watch company that, you know, Aaron really feels is a stylish looking watch. The company's got a great message and he feels that there's a synergy. And so do I between him, his channel, his audience and the brand. And it's okay that Aaron you know, in the other video where he's talking about some other things or you see him in an Instagram picture out and about at dinner and he's not wearing that particular brand, that really doesn't have a negative influence or effect. It's that yeah. Aaron's really trying to put out content that his audience is going to like, number one, that, you know, where they're going to be entertained and educated and informed. And I think that's across the board, you know, with all of the influencers, that's the goal. And to be able to integrate a brand, product or service that they feel confident about and that they also think that their audience will like to hear about as a recommendation or suggestion. Uh, and look, if they're looking for a uh, sweatshirt or t-shirt company, we've been working with one right now that we've been working with, um, and, you know, and I, I, we're going to continue the relationship in the next year. And so, um, you know, if you're looking for, who's not looking for a great t-shirt, or a great sweatshirt. Well, yeah, yeah. if you are, you can go to his channel or some of the other guys yep. and watch and you'll see the brand that I'm talking about. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of how we work. We work with brands that we like and that feel, we feel that will be good for the audience. Now, when you guys uh, start working with a brand, do you set, do they, and you talk about success metrics, you know, like here's how we're going to evaluate this 
this campaign? Uh, and then when they come back, is there certain things? Because you said like, you know, these things are working. What does that mean? And do you do you set that up ahead of time? I know, uh, you know, sharing numbers is not something you want to do, but uh, do you talk about success metrics in the beginning? In a more ambiguous way, you know, um, because, um, you know, whereas I've known some agencies or um, companies um, that would talk to them in very specific terms. Um, and with us, um, you know, there are certain, um, I guess, you know, performance indicators that um, mm-hmm. they would, you know, talk about. I mean, you, you'd always hear, so, so just to kind of the overarching theme of this would be, you know, that, that the brands are going to, you know, when, when you're in marketing, right. I mean, it's about reach, you know, so you want to yep. reach, you know, you want to reach the right audience, which they already know about because we've, you know, if they've asked or may, they may already know, they want to look at demo. Uh, they want to, they want to see the age range. They want to see, um, you know, gender, they want to see geographics, things like that. And we'll provide that. Um, and so once that's determined that you're going to reach the right demographic, then it's, you know, you're looking at with, with YouTube, it actually makes it a little easier. I mean, you can look at a YouTube uh, channel and look, you can look at videos over the last year or month or six months or three months, and you can kind of get a feel for, you know, roughly how many views am I going to get? Some videos overperform, some underperform, some are, fall right in, you know, in the average, you know, section there. Um and so somebody might say, you know, how many views, you know, how many people do you think that I'm, you know, I'm going to get in front of, you know, that's a, that, that could be a conversation and I'll give a range. And normally I'll sh- shoot a little bit low. I don't like to, you know, over promise and under deliver by any means. Um, that's, that's not a good way to start a relationship. And, um, but you know, the other thing too is traffic to the website. A lot of brands are looking at, you know, mm-hmm what kind of traffic, you know, what should I expect? They might even ask me, you know, what percentage of the views should I expect this traffic? And, you know, I, I really try to avoid answering specifics because, you know, I'll even say, you know, I mean, again, you know, one video with the same company, you know, a month apart from each other can perform totally different. Um, oh, could yeah, be the yeah. title of the video, could be the day. And sometimes too, it's probably frequency, right? And how close they are together. We've had that with certain campaigns where one, the first campaign came out and uh, did more in one day than anything we've ever done, the company has ever done. And so, hey, let's do that again. We do it in three weeks and it's just too soon. And it, it's a dud. That's a, that's a challenge. I mean, I, I think what brands, you know, need to realize is that if you try, I know I just got off target a little bit because, uh, you know, sale, I'll get, get to that for a second. But, um, you know, I, I said, I talked about views, then traffic, and of course, sales <laughs> conversions, right? And, you know, yeah. again, I've handled marketing for a long time, right? And you could say the car business is different and the automotive industry is different. But let me just tell you the way I kind of, I try to relate the two. For example, when I talk to a brand about driving traffic to their website, I talk about it as if you're driving somebody to the showroom you know, because realistically you are, and you Mm -hmm. need to be able to handle that traffic that's coming to your website. I mean, if you're not retargeting, if you're not doing your other ends of marketing, if you are not doing what you need to do, if your website is not user friendly, if it crashes, if you can't check out properly, let's say there's a discount code or there's a special offer that's supposed to automatically apply and it's, there's a bug in the system that could prevent. So traffic is important 
but also what they do with that traffic. So again, it's not the, the, the weight of everything can't be on the content creator. It can't be because yeah. you, you, the content creator is supposed to do their job. And, and you know, look, everybody approves the, the video before it posts. So they look at it. They say, yeah, you hit the talking points. Call to action is great. The video is awesome, whatever. Or, hey, can you add this or do this? We rarely do any type of edits. I mean, Aaron is notorious for really, like, nailing it. I mean, um, yeah, you know. First take uh, <laughs> editor, right? Just get it's, it done the first time. It's amazing, man. Um, but yeah. you were just asking, though, about um, – I just lost my train of thought on the um, – we're talking about, about success metrics, frequency, about and frequency. How, yeah. You know, like how you might have a video that, you know, you're, you know, and, and that's amazing. You know, I might sit there and say, guys, your product's awesome. You know, maybe I've already sampled it or what have you. Aaron's really interested. Yeah. I know this might be a little bit more than you're used to spending for a video or sponsoring a video. Um, but let me tell you, if anybody's going to be able to do it, it's him. And I, you know, let's say I pitch it really hard and the brand signs on. Because part of my message is, it, it, and I mean it, and you can look at my history. I, I just told you about the brands that we've been working with year after year after year. Yeah. When I say I'm looking for a long-term partnership, I'm not just, these aren't just words. I've proven it. We've proven it at Menfluential that that's what we care about. And we believe that the longer the relationship, the better it is for everybody. Um, and so you're going to see ups and downs. The first video out of the gate, may prove out to be amazing and they might think, oh my God, we were we weren't even gonna we weren't willing to spend that kind of money, but my God, we're glad we did. We just made yeah, multiples yeah. back, right? Well, I will still set them straight and say, look, you know, this isn't guaranteed to happen all the time. I mean, a campaign is just that. You really should look at it where and give a fair shake to everybody because there's so much value in having a YouTube video having the content online, it goes beyond just the exact performance of it. Now, some might, that might be hard to swallow yeah. a little bit, but at the end of the day, if you can take, let's say you, you, you sponsored six or 12 videos in the course of a year. And let's say the first one is just through the roof. Amazing. The second one disappointed you a little bit, but would have impressed anybody else. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. because of the first, this, the third one bombs, but you continue to move on because overall it's been good. At the end of the year, that's really where you can evaluate it. I mean, look back and say, look, over the last six videos, we spent X amount of dollars. We really can attribute this much success to, you know, Menfluential or to these campaigns or what have you. And yeah, we're going to move forward. It's been successful because the other part of all of this, and I know you'll probably get to this a little bit too, is um, how we work and how sponsorships are paid for, et cetera. Versus kind of others, there's multiple ways of um, sponsoring per se and, 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 and getting involved with influencers. But, um, you know, at, it, it, basically, um, oh, now I really lost my train of thought. I just was going to, because now my head's thinking about like affiliates <laughs> and rev share and commissions. Yeah, and no, and that's what, one of the things yeah. I, I wanted to talk about. And, and if, you, if your train of thought comes back into the station, let me know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, our listeners are affiliate centric. You and I have worked together. You worked with my team on affiliate stuff. It's very much a direct response uh, everything is measured by new customer acquisition and, and sales. 
Um, and, and I, I totally understand all those areas, all the things you talked about with, you know, it's your job to generate traffic and, and our affiliates, you know, a lot of times feel the same way. They generate the traffic. Now what you do with it, it's not the affiliate or the influencer's responsibility, but do you find most of your long-term successful relationships, does that go through the marketing and branding arm of the brand you're working with or uh, more of a sales channel? So are you working with a brand manager who his foc- their focus is reach or a, a sales function where their focus is uh, uh, revenue? So interestingly enough, and, and this my train of thought came back a little bit. Um, okay, having to do with um, you know whether or not um, you know something was worth it or not. Um, and and you talk mm-hmm. about affiliates. One of the, where I was going to go with this is attribution, right? I mean that's yep. a that's a key word here um, because there's one reason. So we, all of our sponsorships are flat fees. They're all you know, this is what it costs for yeah. one video. Um, you know, this is what it costs maybe if we do, you know, a video per month, if we get to that point or bi-monthly or what have you, or a bigger package. Um, you know, we're happy to work with the brands all the time. And, and we do, we try to make it as fair as possible. But at the end of the day, right, even with our flat fee sponsorship, the reason that I never decided that I wanted to go with an affiliate base, and I just happened to know this from the beginning, maybe it was some conversation with Aaron or what have you, but you know, I'm all about, look, I get paid for performance, right? I mean, I'm in sales, mm-hmm. um, you know, personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I don't sell, if I don't, you know, if I don't take in revenue, I'm not making any money. Um, you know, I can go vacation all I want, and if I'm not generating anything, I'm not making anything. So it is performance-based for me. But for the influencer, you know, their job is to make a great piece of content that's you know, hopefully relevant to that brand and the, and, and the integration, pitch them the best they can, drive as much traffic as possible. Hopefully, you'll see the conversions. But the question still remains is when at the end of the, the video campaign, let's say, you know, um, and a brand says, okay, we spent X amount and we made Z and we're really happy with this. What I'll still say, and I mean, that's great to hear. I'm not arguing with it right at that point. I'm saying, mm-hmm. well, that's yeah. awesome. Let's continue to, to work together. But I'm also saying, look, I'm glad that you were able to track those results and that they happen to be great. It happened to be a great performance or great results. But I always say, you know, that I'm sure there's a lot of potential traffic and sales that came from those hundreds of thousands of people that viewed that video that you didn't track. And they might, they may say, well, what do you mean? You know, how can that be? Well, it's pretty easy. I mean, that's marketing just in general is, you know, you may see Aaron and you know, you could be also, there could be so many variables, different devices. You don't click a Mm -hmm. link, you don't use a code, whatever. You know, somebody might watch and say, wow, yeah, man, that's awesome. Oh my God, I totally need new t-shirts. Mine have holes in them and they, they don't fit any, you know, whatever. Uh, oh, that's a great brand. Yeah, I can remember. I'm going to go check that out, right? So they watch, they're watching him on, on their phone. They go home. They're on their desktop. They, they Google the brand and they say, oh, it's got great reviews. Not only did Aaron speak highly of it, it's got great reviews. I'm going to click on it. So guess where that company thinks the traffic came from? 
a Google yeah. search, right? Yeah. From yeah. from yeah. or 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 it's or it looks like an organic click, right? And if the if the call to action or the discount for that call to action isn't high enough, there are people that don't really care. I mean, if it's ten percent off of even if it's a fifty dollar t shirt. It's $5 off. Oh my God, I forgot the code. Are they going to scramble to go back to the link and, you know, to find that video that they watched where Aaron was talking about that brand? And then, you know, what if there's no code? What if you had to click the link and it automatically applies? Are they going to do, do all of that? And so the reality is, is until somebody can really tell me that attribution is closer to 100%, it's very difficult for me to take things at face value. So that's why. I also don't try to dive in too much into the results. It's more like this. Hey, Jamie, you know, um, how did that video perform for you guys? You know, that Aaron did or Jose or some one of these guys did a couple of weeks ago. And you say, well, Terry, it was great. We, we really liked working with you and him and these guys. Um, and I'll say, great, fantastic. I, you know, what reason do I have to dive in to it, right? I mean, they're, they're happy. They've seen success, right? I start diving into the nitty gritty and, you know, everybody's got a different measure of success, right? Some yeah, brands, yeah. some brands want to have a minimum, you know, amount of views. Uh, it's few and far between actually. Um, but at the end of the day, back to kind of what you were asking me about is realistically, no matter what the objectives are, the goals are of the brands, I am, and, and maybe it's wisdom a little bit at my age and that I've been through sales and that I've always been performance oriented and I ran dealerships that were performance oriented and that's how I always got paid. And you know, it was always about taking care of the customer, but at the end of the day, right, the company needs to make money. Yeah. And so, right, what business is not really you know, I mean, maybe they're not thinking of it as direct response, but really what company doesn't want direct response to some degree? They all do. I mean, they might say, like a bigger brand might say, look, we are just interested in views because we're so big and we're everywhere. There's no way for us to track. You can buy us in every corner shop, you know, um, you know, how do you measure that success, right? I mean, how do you do a um, how do you do an integration for a company that you can buy literally at a a cart in the, you know on on the sidewalk in a, you know in the street uh, any you know any convenience shop or any drugstore or a Target or a Walmart right I mean the thing is is these guys may have just brought to your attention something that you may have already known about but never were going to pull the trigger you watched a video and he mentions the brand, talks about how great it is, how it can make you feel or look or whatever. And now the next time you're a target and you're passing by, you buy it, right? So who does that, who, where is that sale attributed to, right? And so yeah, yeah. it is back to attribution and affiliate is all about attribution. It is. And that's where we've had, uh, you know, the, the, hottest thing for many years is influencers in my affiliate program and and uh, pro advertisers and brands will come in and say that's what that's what we want to get uh, and let's keep it at the traditional affiliate here's you can give them a little more commission here here you go and then they see some of these uh, fees and a different structure uh, to work with and they get really caught up on that 
Um, have you had a lot of that? Have you been able to move people, you know, brands through that? What do you, what do you kind of say when that's how they want to work with you and, and you guys don't work that way? Well, I mean, <clears throat> you mentioned two brands that were all about affiliate and that paid us through, originally it was a little different and we don't have to dive into the, the grittiness of how it worked with you at the beginning. But look, those couple brands that you mentioned, we worked with them on flat fees. We didn't work on an affiliate basis yeah. continuously, right? So they saw the value in just in just paying, uh, you know, um, you know, us, you know, flat fees. You know, I got to say this too, um, that, you know, it, it, and I've heard this from influencers, right? And, and by the way, let me just say this too, is that when Aaron takes money for a brand, it's pressure, man. It is like the fire is lit under his, you know what, because he knows mm -hmm. and he's a businessman. They're paying me this kind of money. You know, it's not about whether you feel like you're worth it or not. It's that's what you're worth in the market. That's where you're getting paid. Um, maybe it's because of our relationship and whatever we've done to lay the groundwork. He's getting paid for it, and he knows that it needs to perform at the end of the day. What does that mean? Again, back, it's views. It, first of all, it's a great video with a great integration where the brand looks at it and they're proud of it. Then it's views, then it's traffic, then sales over time, now and over time. But my question is um, to influencers who find the pressure to weigh them down, they kind of – I've had a few where they just – aren't interested in doing that many paid sponsorships because they feel the pressure is mounting. It's too much. An affiliate mm -hmm. though, think about this. You sign up for an affiliate. Uh, your goal is to, let's say, let's say the post would cost you $5,000 and let's say they don't do it because it's too much pressure. So they do an affiliate and let's say they make a hundred dollars way, way, way short and definitely not worth their time for doing what they did. But guess what? Nobody's on their back. No one's, no one's saying, hey, man, that was terrible. You know, that video didn't perform at all. Because yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, what does the brand really care? And I'm going to dive into something else. But why do, why do they care? They didn't have to pay. So they don't, yeah, they're the not paying. The investment wasn't as much. Yeah. They didn't have yeah. to pay because the performance wasn't there. But here's what I'll say about this too. And I've heard this from brands. There are too many content creators that take on affiliate or commission-based or whatever the, the other model is. They'll take it on and they'll, they'll drive traffic. But if those influencers aren't truly that influential or the content isn't that great, does the brand really want to be associated at the end? Of, I mean, at the end of it all. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that can be, because you can, you can sign on to be an affiliate through you know, so many platforms, um, you know, you could write a great, you know, you could write great articles or make great videos, but they don't perform well or don't really do the brand, you know, a solid, they don't do them, a, they don't do, they don't do the brand justice, right? Put them in a real positive light or anything like that. And so not that they're talking negative about the brand, they're, they're trying to make money. There's an affiliate link, but that's where I see the fact that, look, if, one of our guys produces a video, I can assure the brand, and I always do, they're going to do a great job. And they've already seen some of their other videos and things like that. They know the brands that are already working with them. If the, brand, if the video doesn't perform well, that happens. And I hate to be that way. I hate to just say it like that. But that is the risk that you take in marketing. I mean, you do take that risk. I mean, 
you know, you could be an advertiser on television and you could be BMW and you could have a friend at Mercedes and Mercedes says, man, we ran during, you know, the playoffs and crushed it. We saw sales just go through the roof, right? So then BMW does it and it bombs. Okay. You know, whose fault is that? I mean, it's, it, there's so many variables in marketing, but I can assure you that these guys do the best they can to integrate the brand and the product and service into great content that, you know, is, is respectable, that really does a great job, you know, shining a positive light and everything on that brand. The video for most of these guys is going to get a lot of views, which has a lot of SEO value, which you know, is great for when you're searching for things like that. You find yeah, it somewhere. Long-term evergreen now. content. Dude, it's great. Yeah, you said it. Long-term yeah. evergreen content. Is and so and one of the things I, w- I want our audience to know, our listeners, is is in my experience working with you and, and Aaron, uh, the difference between the majority of affiliates and you guys uh, has been the level of partnership. Uh, whereas, hey, here's a coupon, go uh, promote this, uh, put a link out there and a coordinated campaign. Uh, the partnership is greater. And because of that, it's it's going to be a different uh, payment schedule. It's, it's going to be uh, upfront. They're paying for access to your audience, an audience that Aaron has built up and your other influencers have, have built up. And so that's you know, why it's so important to, to work in this area, because uh, you guys have done a really good job of building up your brand. Uh, and that's one of the things Thank we've been you. talking about on the podcast and, and in some of our writing is, is the affiliates, a big change uh, in the last five years has been the emergence of the affiliate as a brand. And if you want access to that audience that that brand is cultivated, you need to be willing uh, to work in different ways. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had conversations with, um, you know, I, I, it, it's a tougher conversation when you talk to a brand that, you know, has seen success in affiliates, um, you know, seen success doing the things that they do, right, the way they do mm-hmm. it. Um, to change someone's way of doing things, you know, takes a little bit. And it's, you know, if you're talking to a CMO of a company and maybe a little bit smaller or you have the access – that's a different story. If you're talking to somebody that then needs to talk to a team, um, it could be a little bit more difficult, a little more challenging. Um, but you know, I say the same things that I've been saying to you about, you know, um, you know, the, the the fact that our credibility is, and I appreciate the compliment. I, you know, we do try to manage things the best that we can. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I mean, when it, it's really funny, and I I have to remember this a lot. You know, when a brand says. Hey, you know, do you have a date in November? You know, and let's say, you know, yeah, sure. You know, we have a date, and uh, you know, we're we're going to post it on November fifteenth, what have you. You know, and let's say it's four weeks ahead of that, right? So we're in the middle of October, and you know, the influencer has the product now, and they've got the talking points, and they're going to create the video, and I send it over to them, and they say, oh, it looks great, and oh, whatever, blah blah blah. Um, hey, so um, we were thinking, you know, do you think we can move that? you know, video to a different week or, you know, you know, you said the 15th, but is it going to go maybe earlier, like the 10th, you know, when we, we have been so busy 
and look at this like inventory. I mean, we have so many dates available per influencer per year. Um, some of them have been flexible. They'll add a date here or there depending on you know uh, their schedule or, or what uh, their audience will um, you know, absorb. Um, sometimes it works, especially in the end of the year where they can add a couple dates here and there uh, to the schedule. But schedules are so tight. When we give dates, that's the date. And we've really nailed it. I mean, I mean, we, you know, we may have missed a couple dates over the years where, you know, uh, something just got messed up and sometimes it's, you know, didn't upload, there was an, there may have been a glitch with YouTube or, uh, you know, or, you know, someone thought, oh, I had it on my schedule. It was another day, but, you know, we've always made good on communicating for the brand or for the agency on the brand's behalf to the influencer to get the job done. And the results are another thing, but the job mm -hmm. gets done and it gets done in a timely manner to the best that we can. I mean, certain influencers wait a little bit till the last minute. Um, yeah. and we, but we do the best we can to kind of nudge them along, get the content done, get it over, give the brand at least a day or two to, to review and look at it. Some of our influencers are better at that than others. Um, but really, the goal is to get a video, to get content to an in, to a brand that the brand says, "Yeah, we really like it. They did a great job. You know, uh, we're, you know, overall they're proud of it. You know, um, and then they'll they'll confirm. You know, so it, it is going to post on the fifteenth. What time was it going to post? And I might respond with something, um, and then I send them an invoice, and um, you know, and that's another thing. Knock on wood. You know, brands have been great with paying. There's just a lot of trust out there. Yeah, especially yeah. it's it's amazing uh, to me. Yeah, I mean that your brands have been built on trust. The audiences trust them, uh, and and it's important. You know, like you said, your you your guys are promoting things that they believe in, and uh, uh, they think their audience will benefit from. Uh, and, and it, it, and then the whole attribution thing on, on their side, uh, and how they're judging it, uh, uh, as well. So Terry, this has been phenomenal. We are about 12 minutes over time. Thank okay. you so much. How, how do brand, and we, I may ask you to do this again, cause I have four questions I didn't even get to, uh, that I know are not uh, 60 second answers. So if it's okay, I'd love to have yes. you on, uh, one more time. And so how do people, if they want to follow you guys uh, and get a hold of you and talk to you about uh, a partnership with one of your influencers, what's the best way for them to do that? Realistically, uh, the contact information is on the website, which is menfluential.com, M-E-N-F-L-U-E-N-T-I-A-L.com. And um, my email address is easy. It's terry at menfluential.com. So T-E-R-R-Y at menfluential.com. That's really the easiest way. Um, you know, we get reached out to people find us, right? It's, I'm glad that you asked yeah. that. Thank you. Uh, we get reached out to by, I mean, we dozen 20 plus brands a day. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, so we just have to, that's great you know, to hear. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been great. I love what I do. Uh, that is also great to hear. It is easy to get up and get at it when you, uh, when you love what you do. It really is.
It really is. And um, yeah, man. So no, absolutely. I'd be happy to, to come back on. And, uh, you know, if, if you get some questions also in the meantime from anybody in the audience that wants to know a little bit more, um, you know, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Uh, otherwise, you know, maybe it's a, another question or two that you can add to the next time we uh, have a conversation. Perfect. Well, I will include links uh, to Menfluential uh, in the show notes. And, uh, and Terry, this has been enlightening. I, I know this has been one of the biggest topics that our audience has been wanting to, to learn about. It's a hot topic of working with influencers in the affiliate space. And you provided a ton of info of how you guys work, what you're looking for, why it's different, why they should view it differently. And I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. Man. All right. Take care. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, we are definitely going to have to do a second episode together, a second recording to go over some of these other questions. Uh, some of the really big things here, they influencers are different. Um, there's a different way to work with them. Uh, Terry outlines uh, a lot of those great things. And like we stated in uh, in this episode, JB Commerce works and has worked with Menfluential and their influencers on multiple occasions. And we added that tracking and data element to it and our clients saw amazing results. So if you are looking for a new customer acquisition, you are looking for access to audiences that you aren't getting right now, influencers and definitely uh, Menfluential is where you want to go, especially you know if you work in the men's uh, space. And I can tell you for experience, they are amazing to work with. They really do look at each partnership uh, with a lot of pressure and they want it to be successful and they do great work. You can actually go to Aaron's channel on YouTube and uh, and see those videos that uh, we were a part of and those relationships extended for a long period of time. Uh, and that is really what it's about. So Terry, thank you so much. You can go to menfluential.com and contact Terry there if you want information. You can also contact us at gethelp at jvcommerce.com if you want more information. I'll link to two case studies we have published on our site on jvcommerce.com that directly talk to how uh, working with Menfluential and Alpha M, how they worked uh, for two of our clients. And they did work really, really well. So Terry, thank you so much. Looking forward to uh, our next chat and, and recording that as well. Now, if you are looking at next year and you want to know what your strategy is for success, you you maybe you want to know, how do I incorporate influencers into my affiliate strategy? Well, then let us help. Just email us at gethelp at jbcommerce.com. Uh, and I would be more than glad to set up some time and talk about what your needs are, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, you can also just directly set time up with me by going to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch. Uh, in there, select the time that I have available and we will get on the horn and just talk about whatever questions you have, whether it's about how to work with Terry and his influencers, how to work with influencers in general, or simply how to make sure that 2021 is going to be as successful as it possibly can for you. So if you enjoyed this podcast, 
but please share it on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. If you know someone specifically who's struggling with how to work with influencers and, and in their affiliate channel, then definitely send them this episode. But we would love uh, a five-star review on Apple, on, on Stitcher, and all the other podcast area. But I hope this was uh, informative uh, and educational and entertaining for you. Uh, if you do have questions for uh, Terry and influencers in general, please email me at gethelp at jbcommerce.com and I will use those for our second recording uh, with Terry. Uh, but Terry, again, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening and have a great day.